Wonderful. Thanks, Johnny, for reading. Let me add my welcome. Um, my name is Chris Evans. I'm the assistant pastor here. Um, why don't I pray uh, for the Lord's help as we look at our final installment. We're going to be just looking at the last five, uh, five verses, 20 to 25 uh, of Jude. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short letter, but a powerful letter. We thank you that you have put it into scripture, that it is given for us, that we might be taught, that we might be spurred on, that we might be warned, that we might contend for the faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how this letter works on our heart by your spirit in all sorts of ways, some comforting, sometimes warning and perhaps at times uncomfortable. We pray that you would give us great humility before your word now, that you would encourage us and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, going back almost 20 years, um, history class, we'd been asked to write a letter that was set at the time of the bubonic plague. Good task, maybe, for a history teacher. I saw this as an opportunity to show, rather than kind of show my grasp of history, to flex my creative muscles. Um, clearly, though, I failed on both accounts when parents' evening came along, because my teacher got out the uh, piece of work and said to my parents, the thing is, I don't understand why he didn't finish it. He kind of set a task, I'm expecting my students to finish the job. But there I sat, and you know, a good work of art, if it's good, it doesn't, shouldn't need explaining, should it? But here we go, I had to go. So I pointed her to some of the clues in my letter as to why it ended so abruptly. You might be able to see where this is going. Um, the author himself talks about not feeling very well. Uh, he detected some swellings under the arm. He talks about some carts that arrived from London, a sighting of rodents nearby. I tried to show that the tension was growing through the letter to this point where I hoped that these unmistakable flicks of ink on the paper were, would be seen for what they were, that the guy had given in to the grasp of the bubonic plague and he couldn't write any longer. It was supposed to be an unfinished letter and I, I had to explain that. Um, my parents thought it was quite funny. My teacher probably just thought this is, this is a, a wild excuse for doing a half a piece of work. Um, an unfinished letter, uh, an unfinished work of art. You might have seen paintings or symphonies that are known as the unfinished symphony. Um, they can be powerful things, can't they? That they sort of leave us wondering what. Um, but they can also be quite frustrating. Now, if Jude had given us an unfinished letter, if we'd have stopped where we ended last week, we'd be in far more bother than, than I was. Because Jude's letter has given his audience, a task. This task we saw, we heard it read in verse 3, to contend for the faith. Now, if he stopped at verse 19, we would have heard in verses 1 to 4, our, our first talk, the call to contend. That's something that we've got to do because these false teachers are perverting the grace of God. And then we carried on last week. We saw, well, we, we need to contend because 
rejecting God's authority is serious. So we've heard the call, we've heard the need, but so far he hasn't actually told us what contending looks like, except maybe implicitly. It would be like kind of getting your box of Ikea furniture and and then not having the instructions, not knowing what to do. Well, how do we contend for the faith? I wonder what that phrase kind of summons up for you. We might have some ideas of our own. Um, Maybe it looks uh, like kind of heading to a monastery, retreating, as it were. You know, evacuate your church buildings, evacuate uh, any denomination that you're in that seems to be drifting doctrinally. Uh, Just save yourselves, keep the gospel safe, withdraw so that you can kind of regroup and strengthen yourself. And there are times where that might be a good thing to do in one way or another. Throughout church history, there are times where, where doctrines have been preserved, where manuscripts and uh, theologians' works have been, have been kept and preserved for us because people have retreated. But there's a danger if we just do that, perhaps we could give ourselves the excuse of, of staying there, maybe lacking courage, maybe fearing man rather than God, ending up in a holy huddle. But maybe contending, we feel much more comfortable with the idea of being on the offensive. It is a kind of fighting word after all. Contending is all about getting on the advance. Let's just send everybody out there. Street preaching, door knocking, flood your social media. Every conversation is an opportunity to see where someone stands with Christ. And there's much to admire there as well, isn't there? Much to admire. Because there's times where that is the right thing to do. Um, Most of us are here in this church because of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. It was right for uh, Luther and other theologians to stand up for the faith. But there's a danger too if that is all we think tending means. Perhaps we enjoy the fight a bit too much. Perhaps it becomes about arguments and we can lack compassion and love. In truth, contending for the faith is going to take a lot of wisdom depending on what situation we're in. What will we do if our church starts to teach X, Y, or Z? Perhaps it teaches that uh, what we would say the biblical view of marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Actually, no, that's outdated. Perhaps a church starts to say, well, we don't really need to listen to the Old Testament anymore because we've got the New Testament. How do we pray for our brothers and sisters in denominations who are seeing that the lordship of Christ is being denied? How can we hand on the faith that's been given to us, to our children, to the next generation? Contending will look different and we we need wisdom, don't we? Well, in today's verses in Jude, we, we get... He gets to the point, the task, how do we contend for the faith? And he spells that out by giving us a bit of a framework. Uh, he points us to three places, I think. Um, we contend by, by looking in, by looking out, and by looking up. Um, so the first one of those, we look in. And that is verse 20 to 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is how we contend for the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. 
just before we kind of get into the verses, there's two surprises here. Before Jude tackles the, the false teachers, he starts by getting to look at themselves. Do you see in those verses, verse 20, but you, dear friends, uh, it talks about building yourselves or keep yourselves as you wait. It, these verses are all about them, aren't they? We think, oh, dude, hang on, there's a job to do here. Doesn't this seem a bit, a bit selfish, a bit kind of inward? But I think it's a little bit like if you've ever been on an aeroplane, that announcement when they say, uh, you know, if, if the oxygen masks come down, uh, put your own mask on before you try and help anyone else. Now, that's not meant to be a kind of selfish thing. Oh, you horrendous person. You're, you're, you're not looking after someone else. No, it's to ensure that you are then best placed to help others. Jude knows we can't contend for the faith if we have no faith to contend for. So firstly, there is a sense of looking in, assessing our own hearts. That's the first surprise. And the second surprise is the main command in these verses is in the middle there. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you might think, hang on, one thing I've gathered from Jude so far is verse 1, we are kept for Jesus. God is doing the keeping. And verse 24, we'll see at the end, uh, God is the one who is able to keep us. I thought God was doing the keeping. Uh, What is this? Why am I being asked to do it now? Who is doing the keeping, God or us? Uh, And the answer to that is yes. Yes, it's not an either or, but a both and. Jude is encouraging us to keep ourselves in his love, to make every effort to know and enjoy the Lord more. And part of the way we do that is by remembering God keeps us, that his love is one that won't let us go. That's why this command to keep ourselves comes in the middle, and it's sandwiched by the fact that God is keeping us. It's a little bit um, like if you've ever kind of uh, looked after a small child, helped them across the road, or something like that, you kind of say, oh, hold on to my hand. And especially when they're scared, they might say, have you, have you got me? Have you got me? And you say, yes, yeah, all right, I've, I've got you. I'm holding tight. But you still say to them, hold on, hold on. I've got you, but, but hold on. That's the sense here. It's just like Jesus when he tells his disciples, remain in my love. Or when in Revelation, the letter to the church in Ephesus are warned of losing their first love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And we can easily go on in the Christian life, can't we? And we know that we need Jesus. And we know that we're grateful for Jesus. We know that he's powerful and good. But nonetheless, sometimes we find it hard to say that we love Jesus. Maybe it's easier to think of him a little bit like a schoolmaster rather than the relationship of a child to a father. What Jude is saying here, don't lose sight of the loveliness of Christ. Because if Jesus isn't lovely to us, then we'll find it hard to contend for the faith. So keep yourselves in the love of God. But what, what does it look like to do that? Well, three, uh, three verbs that kind of come off that in their building, praying, and waiting. 
Um, let's look at the, those in order. The first one, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. This is how we keep ourselves in the love of God. So these teachers that we've had, uh, they think they found freedom in denying Jesus as Lord. But in fact, they're tearing themselves down. They're like one of those Jenga towers. You know, you get a Jenga tower and you kind of see how many pieces you can pull out before it topples over. They see how, how much can they pull out and still stay standing. Now, clearly, if we want to contend for the faith, if God's grace is being perverted, then there's going to need to be some kind of demolition of, of what's going on there, isn't there? We need to address what, what is being changed about the truth. But before Jude gets there, he says, before you tear anybody down, we need to be building up ourselves. We can't contend for what we don't understand, what we don't treasure, what we aren't rooted in, standing on. So he says, you keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up on the foundation of the holy faith. Paul, in his letters to Colossians, uses uh, the imagery of of roots uh, and a tree that then kind of grows up and bears fruit. He says this in Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you are taught. So we contend by building ourselves up in the holy faith. And how do we build up? Well, I guess there's, there's lots of ways that could be helpful. Uh, we could think of lots, lots of things. Some of us, we have a bookstall here reading a helpful Christian book. Some of us might listen to podcasts. There's lots of extra things we could do. And they are good, but we need to be careful because when we come to Scripture, we see those things are good, but, but not necessary. They could be implied. What do we see the Bible giving us how how do we build ourselves up well doing what we're doing this morning having fellowship with God's people preaching God's word meditating upon God's words praying communing with God being strengthened when we have the Lord's Supper singing the truth both to God but also to each other in one sense it's not rocket science most of us are doing this in one way or another already He says, keep going. Keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in the holy faith. Don't contend like a Jenga tower, pulling blocks out. Build yourselves up. Someone talks about uh, the righteous man is, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, that leaves don't wither. That's what we want to be. Build yourselves up in the holy faith. That's the first way we keep ourselves in the love of God. Secondly, praying in the Spirit. Well, what does Jude mean here? Is this some kind of ecstatic or kind of special prayer? Well, I think Jude is making a contrast with verse 19. Have a little look. Verse 19 is describing the false teachers. And there we see they are described as people who don't have the Spirit, who follow natural instincts and worldly desires that is what guides them in their prayers but Jude says you have the spirit what is praying in the spirit I think it is just regular Christian prayer 
but there's no just about it. Jude wasn't, doesn't want us to miss that all Christian prayer is prayer in the Spirit. Prayer that is shaped by not our own instincts, but by the desires God gives us. Praying in line with the promises of Scripture. Praying in line with our new desires. Praying as a child of God who has the ears of their heavenly father because we've been given the spirit of adoption. Every time we, I imagine everyone in this room has probably in the last week um, prayed and used the word father, father God. Do you realize every time you say that word, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is not our natural instinct. That is a work that he is doing in us and through us. That is a precious thing. So we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the spirits, talking to him, with him, calling him our father. Now when we think about contending for the faith and the idea of prayer, um, one commentator said, it's easy to think, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to talk to people about God. That's, that's what contending for the faith is. I've got to go and tell people about God. Interestingly, Jude flips it round, doesn't he? Before he gets to talking to people about God, he says, no, you talk to God about people. And in one sense, maybe you just talk to God about God and about, about you, and then talk to God about people. We pray in the Spirit. Our prayer can be a battle. I'm sure we will all know that. But here it is meant to be a blessing. One of the ways that we experience the Father's love one of the ways that we keep ourselves in the love of God. So we build ourselves up in the holy faith, pray in the spirit, and thirdly, do you see at the end of 21, we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I'm waiting here. I don't know if you've waited for a bus this week uh, or a taxi. It's not like that. It's like waiting for the king to turn up and visit. A waiting that's full of preparation and getting ready, having the right clothes on, the right etiquette. And do you spot, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for his mercy, not his judgment. And that's really precious. Jude knows, as we wait, we we know that it's not going to be straightforward, that we know that we're not going to be perfect. So he says, you wait knowing what is coming is mercy, eternal life. We often talk about how um, our kind of present is shaped by our past, don't we? Maybe our our upbringing or a particular event that has happened to us that was quite life-defining. But here, there's a sense in which our present is shaped by our future as well. And I imagine all of us will know that. Maybe fears about things that are coming up in the future or affecting your present. Maybe an expectation, maybe an event uh, for... Sophie and I are expecting a baby in October. That is a future thing that is definitely influencing our present. What difference does it make to us to know that Jesus is coming back? He's coming back and we will taste his mercy forever. Jesus says that future should shape our presence. That will help us contend for the faith. So firstly, how do we contend for the faith? We look in, keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in the holy faith. Pray in the spirit and wait for the mercy of Jesus when he returns. 
I guess the obvious question is, how are we doing on those things? How are we doing? And before we look at the second thing, I want us to spot, we do these things not as individuals, but together. Do you see? Build yourselves up in the holy faith. Contending isn't a solo activity that we each do in our own little rooms. It's like being in an orchestra. We build ourselves up together. We encourage and challenge each other. We learn together. We pray together. Praying together often helps us pray on our own, doesn't it? And also we wait together. We so easily lose sight that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to be merciful for all who are trusting in him. And so we need to remind each other, when it's a hard day, Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Wait for his mercy. That means I need you to do all of these things. You need me to do all of these things. And we all need each other to keep ourselves in the love of God. So we do these things together, but also um, we do all of them. They, they kind of work together. Um, a friend of mine said, keeping yourselves in the love of God is a bit like batter. Um, it takes all three ingredients. I think you need three things. Egg, flour, and milk. Um, and I wouldn't recommend trying to make pancakes that are just sort of two of those three. You'll end up with a kind of very wet omelette or something that's sort of not very nice paste. Um, we can be tempted, can't we, just to lean into one of these. Oh, I love studying. I love thinking. So I'm going to build myself up in the holy faith. Oh, I, uh, that's not really for me, but I like praying. And uh, so I'll, I'll just do that. Or actually, I just want to focus on now. Um, and I'm not very good at waiting. Jude says, no, we need all three. They, they, they feed into each other. So if we're going to be a church that contends for the faith, then we need to help each other do all of these uh, together. Perhaps that might involve um, asking one another, saying, oh, do you find one of these easier than the other? How can I be praying for you um, in that? Because we won't contend for a, a faith that we're not building each other up in, where we feel it's like a Jenga tower. We won't contend for a love that we're not enjoying in prayer or a hope that we're not waiting for. We need one another to keep each other in the love of God. Second thing, so that's looking in. Secondly, Jude says, look out. Secondly, show mercy to others, verse 22 and 23. Now, we might expect Jude to kind of talk about how we relate to other people in kind of quite cautious terms. Be careful, be alert, be diligent. These guys are, are teaching stuff that is that is threatening. And it might be really kind of, they, they might be feeling threatened. We can imagine that, being fearful, wondering, oh, maybe I should just keep away from these people. But look how Jude describes contending for the faith. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We contend for the faith by showing mercy to others. No need for kind of defensiveness or kind of posturing or argumentative spirits, but mercy. Jude wants everyone in this church to be able to see that 
whether it's the, the, the false teachers who've been bringing this in or anyone who's been influenced by them, at root, everyone is someone in need of the mercy of Christ. He needs to be able to look through how they're living and what they're saying and say, this person needs the mercy of Christ. And there's a reason for doing that, isn't there? Because if we are doing verse 21, if we are waiting for Jesus' mercy, then that helps us to remember that everyone is waiting for the Lord Jesus' return. And we want everyone to know his mercy. Showing mercy to others helps keep us humble as well as holding out life. There's a a book uh, turned into a number of films, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, It was written in 1929. It's sort of an account of World War uh, I, uh, written from a perspective of a German soldier. And um, at the time, 1929, kind of very disconnected worlds compared to today and very easy for uh, people in England to think well just to sort of we've had a war with Germany this is what all Germans are like this is what, what we are like and a kind of us and them approach but one of the impacts that that book had as it tells the story of a, a young soldier and the sort of futility of, of war was that it just showed so many people that his experience was just like so many British soldiers too. Sort of broke down the barrier of us and them. There was a sense of that here too. As we receive mercy, we show mercy and we say, there but for the grace of God go I. We just sang, didn't we? Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. So we show mercy to others. But Jude is clear that we show mercy in different ways to different people. Jude doesn't treat people as projects. He knows that we're complex, and so we're going to need wisdom. Do you see uh, the verses kind of progressed in severity, didn't it? So verse 22, some have been taken in, and it's as if, well, they're not quite convinced, but they've got some doubts as well. Mercy here means being patient, listening, giving space for them to ask questions. Now, mercy must go further, must teach and correct, but not before taking time to understand. But then we see the next verse that some are living in ways which are heading for judgment. It is more serious. Jude says this is someone that needs snatching from the fire of judgment. Mercy here might mean more harsh words. It might mean more pointed confrontation. It might mean helping someone walk through repentance. But notice there's a third, isn't there? There is a place for mercy mixed with fear, verse 23. I don't think that's fear of the person, but fear of being drawn down the same path. Gives this picture of a stained garment, and it's supposed to be disgusting. Uh, This this isn't a coffee spillage, This this is bodily fluids. And in the same way that those clothes have become defiled, there is a danger of Christians getting caught up in sin as they spend time with those caught up in those sins as well. And so Jude says, yes, this person needs mercy, show mercy, compassion, but there are times where you should be cautious, show zero compromise, and perhaps a level of distance is appropriate. 
And that caution is for our good, so that we do not get led astray, but it is also for their good, to show how serious it is. In 2 Timothy, he talks about Scripture being breathed out by God and useful for various things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Each of those words is Scripture being used in a different way, in a different situation. And showing mercy might look like any of these. In some situations, teaching. In some, a harder word, rebuking. Or simply correcting. So it will need both compassion and caution and great wisdom. I wonder who who are we showing mercy to? And we'll need great mercy, great wisdom as we show mercy so that we don't kind of cut everybody out of church who actually needs a listening ear and a, a gentle encouragement. That we don't leave those who need encouragement in repentance to, to do it on their own. But also that we don't encourage people in, in open sin, like the people in Jude's letter, to perhaps be a threat to the church family. We need wisdom as we show mercy. And I guess there's a sense in which this command is just like the other one. We don't do it on our own. We do it together. Showing mercy in different ways assumes that we know where we're at and how we are doing. And so I guess the question for us is, do other people know that about us? Now, we don't need to share that with the whole room, but are there at least one or two people who know what's going on in our lives? If we are the people who need showing mercy. If somebody has been coming along to a church to church for a while, have we welcomed them well enough to know how they are doing? Are we encouraging kind of spiritual openness so that it's easy to show mercy and receive mercy? So I wonder how you're feeling about contending, keeping ourselves in the love of God and showing mercy to other people, looking in and looking out. Some of us, we may be feeling quite excited. We're kind of ready to buy the next book on Amazon and read up about some kind of doctrine. Um, others may be feeling a bit disillusioned, maybe a bit daunted. Maybe this sounds quite hard, quite, quite heavy going. And Jude, he knows what he's doing when he gives us these commands because he is a preacher with a pastor's heart. As well as looking in and looking out, he tells us finally to look up, to enjoy a God-glorifying confidence. Jude brings them back home at where he began. So whether you're feeling zealous to contend for the faith or feeling pretty terrified by, uh, by these, uh, these commands, he gives us the assurance we need. Firstly, that they can contend with confidence. Do you see verse 24 We see the words, he is able, come up twice. He is able to keep you from stumbling. And then again, he is able to present you before his glorious presence. Great confidence. He is able to keep you from stumbling. This this isn't a promise of keeping us from sinning. It's not saying that, that we will have perfection, but it is a promise of protection. Many of us are probably feeling, who am I to contend for the faith? 
I feel stained by sin, lacking in love and courage and compassion. And even in my best moments, the pathway to glory feels very long and very hard. A struggle to feel how I can stand before the Lord Jesus with anything but half-hearted efforts and shame at that. But Jude says, as you try to keep yourselves in the love of God, be reassured, be confident, because he is able to keep you. Your salvation is secure. Remember verse 1, you are called, you are loved, you are kept. He's able to keep you from stumbling. But not only will he keep you, he is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault. We won't be blemished or defiled. The mercy of Jesus means we'll be washed and welcomed. And not only without fault, with great joy. We won't stand before him and fear the words of woe, but experience the most deep and lasting joy beyond all imagining. He is able, we can be confident to keep us and to present us before his glorious presence. How? Well, we see that at the end because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are trusting in him, if we are in him, we are safe. So we are confident, but that confidence is a God's glorifying confidence. You don't contend on your own. We aren't able. He is able. We don't even contend just with one another, do we? We contend with the arms of Jesus carrying us forward. Our only hope of keeping ourselves in the love of God is that he is keeping us first. Our only hope of showing mercy to others is the mercy that is first shown to us. So as we look ahead, as we try and contend for the faith, as we keep ourselves in the love of God and show mercy to others, we do it with confidence, but not a confidence that exalts ourselves, but that points to him just like Jude does at the end. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. A confidence that says, I'll get there, we'll get there, not because we are good contenders, but because we have a great God. And because Jesus has contended for us. So there we go. That is our finished letter, our complete instructions. We've heard the call to contend, the need to contend, and finally, Jude has begun to show us how to contend. But we need to pray for wisdom, don't we? To pray that the Lord's Spirit would help us to think through how, how we do those things together. We need to follow what we've heard, not just sort of put Jude back on the shelf. So let's pray now, shall we? To the one who is able to keep us and present us before his glorious presence, that we can contend for the faith together. Let's take a moment just to reflect on what we've heard and I'll lead us in a prayer.